0: Well, good morning, new life. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Woo! Oh. <laughs> I am not Pastor Brent. I don't know if you noticed that yet. Hey, I. my name is Hosanna, if you don't know. And I have been given the great honor of getting to teach this morning. And I am so thankful because I believe the Holy Spirit has prepared a word that this church needs to hear I believe the Holy Spirit has laid the groundwork for this word that's going to go forth already in our worship. In fact, we can just close up now and go home. He's been in this place. But we're not leaving yet because there's a teaching that I get to present today, and I am so excited about that. But before I do that, I just want to say thank you and to give honor to Pastor Brent. Pastor Brent is not someone who would stand on this platform and seek honor for himself. But y'all, I don't know if you know this, but New Life Church is led by a man full of integrity and full of faith who loves Jesus. So he can't stop me from saying that because he's not up here, but I'm going to say it. And if you are not planning on coming to Vision Sunday, I want to encourage you to make those plans now because I can tell you firsthand, this man has been on his face before the Lord seeking vision for the next season of new life. And it is anointed, and it is spirit-filled, and we are going to be empowered to go forth into this year and to this next season, being a church of God that loves God and goes forth sharing that message to our community. Do not miss out on that. It's going to be great. Plus, I just like him because he lets me be a passenger princess. I don't have to drive. He drives for me, and he keeps my car gassed up. So that's another reason we should say thank you to Pastor Brent. It's why I'm here today, because I was able to drive my car and get to church this morning. This morning, I am going to continue on in our series about the life of Jesus, and we've been on a path of talking about the miracles of Jesus. Last week, we talked about how Jesus calms the wind and the waves, and I love this series that we're in because I feel like I keep learning fresh things about some of these stories which for many of us are very familiar. We've heard them before. We can repeat them. Some of us learned them when we were kids in Sunday school. Do you remember the flannel graphs that kind of did this number? If you're a millennial or older, you know, like the flannel grass that never stayed up. I think that the, the, the Lord has fresh things to tell us about this story that I'm going to tell. And it's about the story. It's about the woman who had the issue of blood, the woman who bled for 12 years. And we're all adults in this room, most of us anyway. And I'm going to say that even though it might be about a woman who dealt with a menstruation issue, a hemorrhaging issue. Gentlemen, please stick with me. This does not give you opportunity to check out because the story, trust me, it's going to be for you too. The story at its core is a story about humanity and someone's desperation for healing and the lengths they would go for healing and about a Jesus who saw that and restored her to wholeness. So if you'll turn in your Bibles with me, if you have them, to Mark chapter 5, we'll begin there. Verses will be on the screen behind me. We love technology. We're in the Bible app and on these screens, but I want to encourage you, if you're not yet in the habit of reading the text in your Bible, get into that habit, because there's something so powerful about being able to take notes and underline. That's so backwards. We're like de-technologizing ourselves. That's not a word. I know. I heard it. I heard it. A couple extra syllables. That's just my plug. There's something really powerful about getting to grasp the scripture. Today, we though we make it available behind me, read with me. Starting in verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Lord, would you reveal to us through your Holy Spirit the words and the message that you have for us today? Lord, we thank you that you are a God who hears and a God who still heals. We just sang these words so strongly. You answered prayers back then and you answer them now. And God, as you have laid the groundwork in our hearts to receive your word, let the words that flow forth, inspired by you, land in places where they need to land. That those today who are seeking healing would be emboldened to go after it. You are a God who heals. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Backing up to verse 25, it says that she had been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years is a long time to have a sickness, isn't it? Some of us know what it's like to be sick for 12 years. A chronic issue is broadly defined as an illness that someone suffers for at least a year. We can safely say that in her perpetual hemorrhaging, she was chronically ill and suffering, Her diagnosis wasn't just limited to what she was experiencing experiencing physically. By today's standards, we think, what's the big deal? So she was bleeding. We have supplies. We have soap and water. What is it about this particular condition that made her life so miserable, so isolated? Sometimes we kind of read scripture and we read it through our lens, but it's important to step into the context of the day and realize why it was that she suffered so greatly Back then, the Jewish people lived under the Levitical law. And according to their custom, her bleeding would have made her ceremonially unclean. This is detailed in Leviticus. And to be made clean, one would have had to stop bleeding for seven days. In her perpetuity of blood, never had she had an opportunity to become clean. Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25 and shout out to our Bible app readers. If you're reading through the Bible with us this year, we you know we just st- we just covered Leviticus 15, like on Tuesday or Monday. We just covered it. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. And any bed she lies on while her discharge conti- will continue will be unclean. Anything she sits on will be unclean as during her period. And anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water. And they will be unclean themselves until evening. We see here that according to Levitical law, being unclean would have forced her life to be lived in isolation because it presented a risk for people to be around her. And that risk meant that they would be unclean and they would have to be subject to being excluded from religious ceremony. They would have to go through all the work themselves. And I don't know about you, but humans are kind of selfish people, right? You're going to want to kind of carve a wide path around it if you knew that even touching the blanket of somebody who was unclean was going to mean that you had to wait till the evening, right? In her immediate context, she had no contact with family or friends, No covering of protection from a father or brother. No prospects for a husband or children. And we know how devastating this can be in the Old Testament context. I mean, we kind of get a hint in this in the story of Naomi and Ruth when the husbands and sons died and there's that great grief about where they should go and who can protect them and not being able to wait till sons grew up. Because that covering, that provision, provided protection for women. And here is this woman who stands no chance ever ever of having that. No prospect of hope, no future. How hopeless. Think of all that you have gotten to see and do and experience in the last 12 years. Some of us have had children. Some of us have gone to college. Some of us have entered into marriage. We're in church right now. How many times have you been to church in the last 12 years? Enjoyed a social situation minus the two that were weird with COVID. I know that was odd. We're going to ignore that altogether right now. There's a lot of life that gets lived in 12 years. A lot of life. Imagine now being on the fringe of all of that life. Watching it pass you by. With every year a new dream withering away. All your hopes of what could have been never being able to be established. It's like this that many of us are living like this woman. We may not be bleeding, but many of us are living with painful things that keep us separated from other people, that keep us in hiding. Many of us are dealing with addictions. Many of us are dealing with trauma. Many of us are living under the label of words, terrible, horrible labels that have been spoken over us. How many of us know that it's hard to forget something that someone has once said to you? Some of us actually have physical pain that we're living under. Some of us are struggling with sin that we do in secret, that we're hiding, and it's killing us. We live in emotional isolation because of these things, because we fear what might happen if these things come to light. What will people think? Will my friends reject me? Will I no longer be allowed to come into church? I'm not good enough to be in church because of this thing that is eating me up inside. I can't shake it. So we hide it and we tamp it down. And that becomes emotionally isolating, and emotional isolation leads to physical isolation. We stop interacting with our loved ones. We stay away from church. How many of us know people, or we ourselves, who have stayed away from the place we need to be in because we're so ensconced in the fear of what might happen? On the outside, you look totally and completely fine. You might even tell yourself, I'm fine, I'm good. Pray for someone else. I'm good. We hold people at bay because of the what-ifs. And we think it's the, it's the holding people at bay that provides our protection. But we're dying on the inside. We're hemorrhaging. Much like her disease becoming her identity. I mean, in the Bible, she's literally the bleeding woman. Our hurts and our pain points are things that we begin to allow to define us. And it's from that place of identity and definition that we act and make choices and decisions. This is a story about pursuing healing, though. And if you want healing, you have to pursue healing. You have to make the choice to go after your healing. This is a woman who wanted to be healed... In verse 26, it says, she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. She wanted to not be this woman, this bleeding woman, this ostracized, isolated, hopeless woman so much that she suffered under many doctors and spent every penny that she had. That sounds like a woman who wants to pursue her healing. She didn't just sit where she was. But it's that word "suffer" under many doctors that really caught my attention when I was studying. As we know, the accounts of Jesus' miracles are written in the Gospels. And this that I'm teaching out of comes from the book of Mark because he uses the most words and I love words. Matthew gives two verses to this story and I'm like, well, that's not helpful. And Luke, who was a doctor, actually doesn't say that she suffered under doctors, which I think is convenient for Luke. We're going to go with Mark because he's super descriptive. And it says that she suffered under many doctors. So I did some research. What did it mean to suffer under doctors in her time? Here's what I dug up. And I love, I love when history, that history partners with what is written in the Bible because the Bible can be proved with historicity. There are ancient records that preserve what was written and acted upon, and this is how we can know that the Bible is true, because it's provable. And according to the Talmud, which records the ancient Jewish civil and ceremonial practices, say that five times fast, I had to really slow down there, women who suffered from bleeding issues during Jesus' time, these are real prescriptions, these are real things women had to do. They had to carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen rag in the summer and in a cotton rag in the winter. And if that should fail, ironically, <laughs> she should dig seven ditches, burn shoots of grapevines therein, and then drink wine by each ditch. And if that should fail, and on and on and on and on. Is it any surprise that she suffered greatly? She was already weak, already had nothing, and they've got her out there digging ditches. And if she wasn't digging them herself, she was maybe hiring people to dig those ditches. These doctors weren't helping her. Now, we ourselves, we may not be buying exotic birds, I hope not, for their eggs or digging ditches, but something that we are doing as we are pursuing healing by our own power can be that we are self-medicating, that we are avoiding, that we are engaging in behavior that we shouldn't be, that we are drinking and finding relief. We are working, let's be honest, you might think that you don't have habits that need to be hung up or given up, but if, I mean, we have a history of overworking ourselves here in avoidance. We're seeking help from gurus. We are trying to patch together where we are broken. And it's costing us in time and effort, in money and in relationships. And we are not any better. We are suffering greatly. We will never be healed by our own efforts or things that we pursue by our own power or things that can be found here on this earth. But Jesus. And I love that phrase, but Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's clappable. But Jesus. How many times do the account of the word that were it not for but God, but Jesus, would all things be hopeless? Were it not for the intervention of the one who can heal and the one who can save, but Jesus. Jesus can heal. He can restore. Jesus makes whole. By this point in the story, Jesus' earthly ministry is well underway. It's well accounted for. We're in chapter 5 of Mark here. Chapters 1 through 4 of Mark have myriad stories of Jesus' miracles. We've already learned about how he is free to demon-possessed man, how he's healed someone with leprosy, how someone who's paralyzed walked. Last week, we talked about how he calmed the storm. In the first chapter of Mark, there's even just a whole section that simply says, Jesus heals many. I think he's like ran out of ink or something. Just, it happened. Jesus healed many. It was like an Oprah Christmas special, right? Like, you get a healing and you get a healing and there's going to be healings for everybody. Just passing him out. We laugh about it. But that's how it's described. Wherever Jesus went, healing went. Wherever Jesus went, life went. Wherever Jesus went, restoration was. And it's hearing the accounts of healing that the woman decides, I've tried it all. Let me try Jesus. She risks it all to go to Jesus. Remember, this woman couldn't just be in the crowd and amongst people to find Jesus. To go to Jesus meant that she knew she was literally taking her life in her hands to get to him. She would not have been unknown. Bleeding for 12 years, you'd know who that person was in your community. She'd be recognized. She was risking exposing herself and facing rejection. She risked knowing that people would be angry, that they would be unclean. Wherever Jesus went, there were crowds, and to get to Jesus meant she would have to go through crowds, and she would be literally leaving a wake of uncleanliness behind her. And she went anyway. She risked the exposure. She risked it all because she knew what she needed, and she knew Jesus had it. And it's faith that spurred this woman to a place where she was willing to contend for her own healing. And we have to be willing to contend for ours too. What does it mean to contend, this word, to contend for healing? Contend simply means to strive against an opponent. And one of the first instances we see of this in the Bible where someone is contending against an opponent is when Jacob wrestles with the angel in Genesis. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans, and you have overcome. And that's in Genesis chapter 32. Jacob wasn't willing to let the angel go until he himself had received a blessing from God. He was willing to wrestle for however long it took Even through an injury, even through a setback, even through something that could have been debilitating. I've never had my hip wrenched out of socket, but I imagine it's hard to wrestle without a hip in your socket. But until there was a breakthrough, he was not going to let go. Jacob was aware of the blessings spoken over his forefathers. Remember the blessings over Abraham and Isaac? But Jacob was also aware of his past and the things he had done. He had that situation with the wives, deceiving the brother and all the stuff, right? Jacob wrestled with the angel until he had received a blessing for himself. He wanted to know that he himself was covered by the Lord. He contended until he received it. And in that same way, the woman goes against what was expected of her. She wasn't wrestling, but she was surely going up against what would have been side looks at minimum, if not angry words. She left the place of being the outcast. She physically removed herself from where she was and went straight to Jesus himself. She didn't wait for someone to bring her. I think that that's an interesting part of the story. She didn't wait for someone to bring her. She didn't wait for him to cross her path. She knows who he was and what he could do, and she went right to him. We need to be willing to go after Jesus for our own healing. We need to be willing to let what is broken and what is hurt come to the surface. We need to be willing to risk it all because until we have laid that Before him, acknowledging what is broken, acknowledging what needs to be surrendered, acknowledging what needs to be repented of. That is so risky, these things we keep secret. Healing can't begin to take place. And we can't let the only time we cover these issues that we present them when we ask for help and for prayer... Be we can't, the only time we talk about them, they can't be when we ask other people for prayer. And don't get me wrong, it's wonderful to ask other people for prayer. We should ask, a, we do, we ask you to let us know what we can pray with you about. And we do, we've got a dedicated, committed prayer team. But if the only time you are thinking about your thing that needs to be healed in terms of prayer is to ask other people for prayer... If you only do it the once a week on your Connect card or just in passing when you see someone on the road, you're only getting to the part of it. We need to be in relentless, unyielding pursuit, for our healing as well. Yeah, that's right. So what does it look like to contend for your own healing, for your own provision, for your own blessing? And what does it look like to do that with prayer that is filled with faith? Remember, this woman says, I know I will be healed. In the previous section, and this story takes place in the middle of a a story that's already ongoing, Jairus, the commander, has Jesus going to heal his daughter. Jairus himself says, I know that if you say the word, as I go, my daughter will be healed. We've got people here who are full of faith. We need to follow their example. So what does it mean to be prayed, to pray full of faith? Contending and prayer that is filled with faith is when you become declarative in your prayer. You're no longer asking. You're no longer praying a nice flowery prayer like you think prayer should look like. You are declaring for your freedom. You are declaring for your breakthrough. Contending is when you advance in your prayer because you know what is at stake. You understand that you are at stake, that your issue is at stake, that your child is at stake, that your marriage is at stake, that your ministry is at stake. And when these things that you understand need healing, no one's going to sit back on a back foot, and just hope something good happens, you are going to advance in your prayer. It is refusing to seed, refusing to give up ground until you have a breakthrough, until you know that the God who can heal has given you your healing. You need to be a warrior in prayer over that issue. Contending is what happens when you pray with boldness because you will not be denied. Second Corinthians chapter 10 says, For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What is the stronghold in your life? And if you are still praying passively over this, it is time to rise and advance. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This woman knew who to go to for her healing, and she pushed her way through the crowd. She advanced her way through the crowd. She ignored what might have been said and what might have been done to her because her healing was on the line. Verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out of him, and he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? The disciples answered, You see the people crowding against you, and yet you ask, Who touched me? Remember, everywhere Jesus went, crowds were coming. They wanted to see the Jesus who could perform miracles. He was quite popular. Imagine the crowd that was pressing in around him, And you can begin to imagine the disciples' incredulity at this question. I'm sure they thought, maybe he needs a snack or a nap. Like, this is a weird question. I mean, you would probably be kind of doubtful, too. Like, I think I would have been like, maybe it was me. Like, I'm right here. It's this word, touch. Who touched my clothes? Who touched me? I looked in the Greek for the translation of this verse. And the Greek word for touch is hapto. And the definition of hapto is to fasten to, to bind to, to grasp. Jesus isn't asking, who touched me casually? Like, who was that? Who bumped into me? Like, we've all, we all do that thing where we kind of get shouldered in a storm. We're like, what's your deal? Like, didn't, I was there. He's not asking any of those things. Jesus is asking, who has fastened to me with their faith? who has bound themselves to me for their healing. Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear. Imagine how fearful she would have been knowing that she touched him. And then in her context, that would have meant maybe he means who made me unclean. Who dared touch me? She told him the whole truth. I love that. The whole truth. I imagine this is extra biblical, but I imagine that because it says that she told him the whole truth, that she started from the beginning, from her origins, from when her illness started. Talked about the rejection and the hopelessness and the fear told him about all the things she had tried, all that she had given up, all that she had suffered greatly. Honestly, it could have been enough for her to have been healed. It does say at at once Jesus realized that power had gone out of him and in that moment the healing was complete. It could have been he was on his way to Jairus as I mentioned that before. This story takes place kind of in the mid it's 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 the meat of the sandwich and a miracle that's already ongoing. So he was on his way to Jairus's house, he was. He could have been in a hurry. He could have just known that somewhere behind him someone got healed and that's good enough. That's what I'm here for. I'm Jesus. He could have kept walking, knowing that somewhere someone experienced wholeness. But Jesus is personal. And it is highlighted so beautifully here because Jesus knows that a little girl's life is on the line. But when this woman touches him, when she grasps him for healing, he stops. And she tells him the whole story, and her story is at least 12 years long. Jesus is a personal Savior who values relationships with his people. And he stopped because he wasn't going to proceed without acknowledging that healing had taken place and without restoring wholeness to her identity as well. You guys, you think you know this story, but it just keeps getting better. He restores her identity as well. In verse 34, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. He called her daughter. And in that instance, with that term daughter, and if you have kids you love, hopefully you love all your kids, if you have the love of parents over you, you know what that protection and covering feels like. And this is a woman who had gone without it. And instantly her protection and covering had been restored. When he called her daughter, her identity was exchanged. She was no longer the bleeding woman. She was the daughter. She was no longer the outcast. She was healed. She was no longer sick. She was whole. Her identity had been restored. With that word, she had hope and a future if she's young and we think she is because, well, I think she is. This, again, this is extra biblical. You get a couple of them. That's it. My limit is two. Pastor Brunsling, let's ease it up on that. But there are instances when Jesus heals people or he interacts with women and he calls them women. But in this case, he calls her daughter. So I think she might have been younger. She's got hope. Maybe she can have a family. I don't know. But what her healing and her restored identity means, that she can pursue a future free from the encumbrances of what held her back before. Something else that's really powerful in that when she falls to his feet trembling with fear is that by all accounts, contact with her should have made him unclean. Should have done it. That's what Levitical law called for. But instead it was his interaction with her That covered her and made it whole. But Jesus. But Jesus. Our Jesus who loved to turn things. To change our perspective on things so that we too can find healing. But Jesus. What a powerful name. Jesus heals and restores. He gives life. He gives hope. We sung about that boldly just now, calling on the God of Jacob. Jordan and I didn't talk about what we were leading or talking about today, but that's the Holy Spirit, I think. The Holy Spirit's already been at work in this place. You're the God who still hears and heals. The God who hears prayer. Let's advance our prayer. Let's take it seriously, the need to pursue our healing. Let's take it seriously that if we want healing, we have to be willing to let things come to light. That is scary and painful and risky. Sure is, 100%. But if you are sick and tired of feeling like you're dying on the inside, that there's no hope for you, that something someone once spoke over you is holding you back, that that establishes your identity. Jesus is here to say, I am here and I can heal and make whole. Advance towards me. Push through the risk. So I will ask you now, as we're closing it up, What is it in your own life that needs healing? What needs restoration? What needs hope? What needs to be addressed that's taking place in the dark so that you can find life in the light? You can't hold on to both. Will you pull out your phones with me to fill out your Connect cards? Because we're going to interact with this here. nlcchurch.com slash connect. There's a section in there that asks about what we can be praying for. And I'm going to ask you to fill that out so our prayer team can be praying for you. But this is also your first step in praying over a situation that's in your life as well. You might be asking, how do I do that? I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray a a prayer that advances. I don't know how to pray for this thing that's so deep and so dark and so painful and so large. Can I just tell you to just pray the name of Jesus over it? Over and over and over. It's all you need. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. And then begin to let the Holy Spirit... Pray through you. Be bold in that. Some of for some of us, it's going to be scary this first time interceding for ourselves. You don't need to be fancier than Oh, Jesus. Name above all names. Name above all things. Healer of all. I want to encourage you to pray this week with expectancy. And with the anticipation of God moving in your life. Pray with the urgency of someone who knows what God has promised. And commit that to prayer until you see breakthrough. Be in it. Advance in it. Don't just let it go. Pray with faith. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. So that you may receive mercy. And find help in your time of need. Father, all across this room is a need for healing. All across this room, people are holding things that desperately need your healing touch over them relief from addictions, relief from sin, restoration of relationships. A new identity, new hopes, new dreams, new futures, and you are the God who restores. And we believe this in Jesus' name. I pray over your people today, O God, that they would feel the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And as they begin to step forward in prayer, in faith-filled, advancing prayer, that you would move on their behalf over their situations. We are believing and claiming healing in Jesus' name. You are a God who gives life, and we cling to that, and we will not give up ground until we see your mighty work at play in our lives. We pray this with faith, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, go into this week. Go into this week full of faith, advancing in your prayer. Oh, and I guess I should say, have a good week. (laughs) I thought someone was going to come, huh? Uh, You guys have a great week. Uh, We'll see you at 6 p.m. tonight for Vision Sunday. um, And we'll be praying for you as you go. See you next Sunday.